Welcome to the Gold Silver Pros Podcast with Rob Keens, your precious metals podcast for interviews, breaking economic news, and more. Today's episode, In Troubled Times, Precious Metals Are Your Only Security, featuring Andy Schechtman and Dave Kranzler. Our metals roundtable with Mr. Kranzler, Mr. Schechtman, and maybe Mr. Marcus from Arcadia Economics will join us if he can get his internet working there in Mexico. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing today? Hey, how's it going, Rob? Doing very well, Dave. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for the invite on here. I hope Chris can make it. Yeah, we hope going he can, too. He came in a couple of days ago. It's like, I'm going to try to get my internet working. You know how it can be in Mexico. So, Andy, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Rob. I'm good to, good to be here. Dave, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you, Andy. Thank you, Pat. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this roundtable, and this is one of my favorite things of the conference is doing these, and especially you guys, you're so popular on the channel as well. Um, and it just can be anything we want to talk about, but we've actually had a lot going on in the world this week. Earlier, I was on with Ian talking about Ukraine situation. We just had news out from the Fed today that they expect a rate hike. Now, some people are saying March, but they look like they're actually going to stick with that plan. Of course, the markets are rolling over a little bit today. So we've got a lot of topics to talk about. We can start anywhere you know you want. I'll start with you, Dave. What, what's of interest to you on the metals? Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I always hate to, to bring the old, the dirty M word into the equation as in manipulation, but that, that was, it was blatant today. Um, I, in terms well, did of you see that like at 10 a.m. it went like dong dong like that <laughs> well yeah it actually it, it actually i mean it kind of drifted a little bit lower overnight but yeah. it it got hammered really you know from 1848 down to 1816 in two waves the first one mm -hmm. when the comex opens okay and that's you know that's that's routine and then the second wave was when the FOMC policy statement headline started hitting the tape and it got banged hey, are down. You for another... Are you saying it's routine for them to slam the market every day in the morning? <laughs> uh, most days, yeah. I would say 90% of the time, right before the COMEX opens, the price, and it, it may be even 30 minutes before the COMEX opens, the price of gold starts to drop. And then it, it takes a, a big step down as soon as the COMEX floor opens at 8.20 a.m. New York time. Am I right, Andy? Yeah, it's well, and you know, and, and they'll vary that from time to time. There's a guy named Dimitri Speck who's done a wonderful job of showing over a period of 10 years the way that the market behaves, always slammed down at the AM fix, always slammed down at the PM fix. And then as it as it enters New York, it's it's it's, uh, you know, trying to get back up what it lost and it shoots all the way up as it gets through Asia and starts all over again. And and he made a chart compressed it one chart for 10 years and it's amazing straight waterfall straight waterfall straight waterfall every single time and you know i, I remember um andy hoffman when he used to work with miles franklin way back when he used to talk about the sunday night massacre and he would show for a long time i think the number it was like 296 out of 310 sunday nights as you start the week you start with you know already Two legs cut out from underneath you so yeah you are right and it's it's the same rinse wash repeat i guess until it isn't and one of these days it won't be but yeah it's, it's a little disheartening sometimes you know one other thing i'd just like to say you know you, you hear about when whenever we see the market pull down 
because there's so much margin debt that it's always a rush to liquidity. And I'd like to dispel that rumor and say, you know, I don't think it's a rush to liquidity. No one sells on this end. I think what it is is the delinking of the rationale that people employ to buy this stuff. In other words, the banks that are short, the four banks that are manipulating the market, as you say, Dave, they don't want us finding a logic, uh, a logical thread that would tell us to, you know, pare down our equity exposure and move into precious metals. So whenever gold and silver should be going up, oftentimes in an environment like that, they get stepped on. You know, that, that said, I have noticed that since probably early September, because we've had We've had some, you know, shallow stock market drawdowns, you know, starting in, in September. And on days when the stock market is getting hit pretty hard, like when I say hit pretty hard, like, you know, the Dow's down over 100 or more. Um, gold actually has been moving higher on a majority of those days. And, you know, for, you know, ever since August 2020, when the sector kind of peaked on days when the stock market was getting hit. Our sector got hit also, but I, you know, it's, I like to forever for when we, yeah, I like to look for periods when the precious metal sector starts to diverge from the rest of the stock market. And like we saw in uh, late October, 2008, you recall that I, I'm sure, you know, sure. the precious metal sector started taking off again and it, you know, they, they both the stock market and the precious metal sector went down in tandem and the precious metal sector started taking off the ue index doubled between the beginning of november and the end of the year that year and the s p kept going lower and it 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 didn't bottom until i think late march 2009 and it, it would have kept going lower except for the money printing had started and it, it took a couple months for it to to kick in and and find its way into the stock market so you know, I, I think there's a chance we could be seeing something like that happen again. I mean, if you look at if you look at just a, you just look up a one year daily of I, I use GLD as a proxy for the gold price just because it's easy on my my stock trading platform. But if you look at a chart of GLD, I mean, it's it's in a definitive bull trend right now. And GDX, similarly, um, it's it's been in a gradual uptrend now for a couple months. I mean, it's it's real gradual, but it's it's there. So um, to me, those are those are two indicators that I look for that we could be starting to re-enter another bull cycle. Yeah, and do you think you know <clears throat> it, we've been saying bull cycle for a while? Tavi was on earlier from Crestman <clears throat> Capital talking about this this bull pennant flag that's on on the gold mm -hmm. chart and actually because of the sell-off across markets today not just in gold silver but all the u.s markets it kind of dipped down out of that pennant but all the technical is screaming for gold to surge forward and screaming for silver to surge forward what's going to actually do it is it going to take shots fired over ukraine or taiwan is it going to take evergrande melting down you know completely melting down the chinese property market what what's what's the cause there those are good questions. Well, first, I, the Chinese government's going to liquefy Evergrande. I mean, they've already started, right? They're not, you know, there may be smaller property companies that they don't care about and they'll let them go. But I don't I don't think they're going to let ever. They don't want that egg on their face. And, it, you know, how much does it cost to print more more yuan? How much does it cost to print more fiat currency? Right. And they've already 
completely, not completely, but started to loosen their their monetary conditions over there. So, you know, to me, I think Evergrande, unless there's derivatives connected to it that blow up in the in the European or U.S. banking system, I, I don't really pay that much attention to it. But I, I would argue that technically today, um, the, the gold chart didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it traded down to its 21-day moving average. We're still above the 100, the 200, the 50, and it's still in a real, it's in, in a very nice uptrend that that started that started at the end of September and started to, the, the, the slope of that uptrend started, it, it, it increased a little bit um, on December, starting December 15th. So, I mean... I don't. I think technically, I think technically, gold and I think the mining stocks still look still look good. Um, in, in turn, I mean, what do you think will turn this around, Andy? In terms of, like, I'm I'm arguing, I guess that it's already somewhat turned around. How do you, you know, it takes it takes a while to turn turn around a big cruise ship, right? I, I could say the Titanic, but it wouldn't be a good analogy for our situation. Um, if they could have turned down the Titanic. Turned it around. They 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 might have, but so um, this is kind of the pattern that I want to see for a sustainable bull cyclical bull move. I mean, the move that we had in from from March 2020 to August 2020, it was like you know the high octane momentum traders jumped in right away, and and the G GDX was up 45 percent in what four months, five months. I mean, to me, that's not technically healthy. So. You know, I'd like to see a gradual uptrend, you know, kind of climb the wall of worry, you know, where, where you don't have all these guys that are chasing tech stocks that don't make any money, you know, chasing that momentum. I don't want them to migrate to our sector, you know, until we're about three quarters of the way through with this bull cycle. Because that gives yeah, you plenty I, of time for, for your investments, Dave, or what's the reason behind that? <laughs> um, because when you get the hot money in there, which is what we saw uh, at the end of 2015 and, and the market petered out after July um, right. 2016, and then, you know, the same thing from from March, from, from the end of March 2020 until um, the end of August 2020, you know, we, we went straight up almost and it was hot money that came in and hot money that fled. And to me, that's that's just not healthy. People look at that and they say, Wow, this is pretty volatile. I think I'll hold off. I'd rather see, you know, a gradual uptrend for the next six to nine months that maybe starts to accelerate, you know, or you know, I'd like to see kind of a two or three year year move, like we had from the end of two thousand eight until the middle of two thousand eleven. Or I would actually argue that we had a, you know, the the best bull move that we've had so far. The healthiest one went from the middle of 2001 until, you know, March, 2008, you know, mm -hmm. you know, see, that's, that's a, that's almost a seven year cycle. I mean, we had a couple periods where there were some, you know, some, some uncomfortable uh, pullbacks, but I mean, that was basically an eight year, a seven year move. Um, and th there wasn't really any hot money in the market back then, as Andy can attest to, it was just us tinfoil hat gold bugs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So Andy, what's your thoughts? What you know, I know you've been involved in this industry for a very long time. You move the metal, you see it at the ground floor, you see what's going on with physical. 
when when does a spot price catch up with all this demand we have in physical? Well, I mean, you know, you, you can cite technical analysis, but I think technical analysis in, in a market that's managed loses a lot of its um, predictive power. I mean, you look at gold, it's, it's above most of its moving averages or really close to it. And I think when we talk about the demand, it's, it's very obvious. We've, we've all talked ad nauseum about silver's demand in industrial applications that are expanding in green and digital. We've talked about a monetary renaissance. You, you hear reports all around Europe right now that they're limiting what people can buy in precious metals. You have the UK mint that ran on a, bl a blanks a few months ago. We haven't received anything from them in quite some time. You have uh, the Austrian mint that was hit really hard by Omicron. Um, you have the U.S. mint, which has been the model of inefficiency for the past two years. The Canadian mint, which struggles mightily to keep up. Uh, you know, you have all of this massive demand, and I think it's it's very obvious in in with with proof of demand in many cases. I would argue overwhelming supply. Uh, it's just that the law of supply and demand. When you when you read about that or learned about that in high school, they they omitted the chapter for COMEX manipulation, and <laughs> and that's a big deal. You know, it's it's it, it's not going to change until the four commercial banks that are holding down the price allow it to change. But you know, there's an old saying that you can only manipulate a market in the direction that it is going, and this is what's different. Maybe for the first time ever, a generation of people, many of which are uh, have have done very well in cryptocurrencies. Whether or not they've acknowledged gold, they understand it now as, as really an antithesis to the dollar, the same, somewhat the same cloth that cryptocurrencies were born from. You have a, an expansion in interest and understanding. And I think that the days are numbered of these commercial banks to rig the market. But I would submit, you know, a lot of people are talking about this big position that, that Bank of America is holding, 800 million ounces in, in silver and, I don't know, 20 million ounces in, in gold. It just seems to me that, that there's a bigger player involved here. And, uh, you know, I think the U.S. government has a vested interest in, in manipulating things right now when the, when the world reserve currency is hanging on by a thread. But you don't have to look any further when you talk about demand. That's a 31-year record this year. Central banks purchasing over 4,500 tons of gold. And so you have the central banks, the commercial banks, the sovereign wealth funds, the retail public globally, the expansion in uh, industrial applications. And you look at an asset class in an environment where all asset classes are blown to hell in terms of value, where you can't find real price discovery. And you look at silver and gold and, and it's the fact that people aren't noticing it is shocking to me if they're not. But I will simply say to you that um, the pieces are in place. But the truth of it is, is until the banks feel the heat enough and decide to get out of holding down the price, until there is a new price setting mechanism, not the COMEX, I think we're going to have to deal with this. But if you realize the inevitability of much higher prices, it makes acquiring it at these levels a lot more palatable. I'll say that at least. I'd just like to interject one point here is that, you know, the, the banks, the banks can't keep the price repressed for long periods of time because otherwise the price would still be at 250 where it was, you know, right. when it bottomed out in, in 2000, 2001. That's right. So yep. and you point. have to look at it over a longer term. 
It's more like a managed control or, mm-hmm. you know, um, Bill Murphy and Chris Powell or Gata came up with the, the concept of or the term a managed retreat. Right. So and, and I mean, if you just measure and it's not arbitrary, you measure the gold price against any of the three major stock indices starting at the beginning of 2001 till now, gold's been the best performing of amongst all four of them. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if silver is number two or number three. The NASDAQ might have snuck in there um, at one point last year. Is, is The last time I ran, I'm like, I can't remember if NASDAQ was number two or number three or and silver was two or three, but it's it's in the top three. So that would not be the case if the banks could, could you know, if they could just at their will could keep the price of gold and silver down. And the other thing that I would want to point out is that India in 2021 imported the most amount of gold, physical gold that they've imported in a long time. It wasn't a record year, but it, it was it was up there. And this isn't like, you know, gold bars that the Indian Central Bank buys and leaves them in a vault in London to be rehypothecated. I mean, this is this is actual gold flowing into the country. And that doesn't measure the amount of gold that gets smuggled into the country. It's, it's been estimated that's anywhere from two to 300 tons. Um, China's, China's gold importation, it was up, I can't remember the exact number. I, I know for the last couple of months, it was up 45% year over year. It might've been up 45% for the whole year. I can't remember, but it was up considerably in 2021 from 2020. And and remember, Russia said they were going to stop buying gold for a while. Well, they've they've you know I don't know if they ever stopped, but they they've shown some some healthy increases to their their gold reserves also. So, you know, I think at, at some point, and especially as these ESG initiatives and green initiatives really take hold, and and especially uh, you know these green technologies, solar, EV batteries, etc., they use a lot of silver. And I mean, as you know, I mean, there's projected to be a supply deficit in 2022. I don't know if if, uh, if an economic depression will, will um, you know, affect that. But clearly, if if you know, if in a in a st- in a normal global economic environment, if there's going to be a silver deficit, silver supply deficit, even in a recessionary environment, the supply of physical silver that just people want for industrial use, forget investment. There's going to be, you know, it's going to be tight. So that's, to me, that's the kind of thing that's going to, I wouldn't talk about when, when will they, when, when will the banks themselves stop trying to control the price rise of gold and silver? For me, it's more like, you know, when is the physical market going to blow it open? You know, and I mean, that could happen any day. It could happen this year. It might take a few more years. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. With all the risks we're seeing, we've got massive geopolitical risk going on now, which we weren't necessarily talking about four or five years ago. It's almost like the U.S. is on a double Cold War front between China and Russia. I mean, it's <laughs> not just Russia this time. It's like the U.S. is pissing off everybody, right? You've got these massive property market risks. I mean, four months in a row, the U.S. property market is slowing down. It's decelerating. It's not rolling over just yet, but it's on its downward slope. Four months is long enough to say, you know, we were at the peak there. You've got massive financial issues. All I know when I did when I worry about this shit and, and what to do is I hold this, right? This is what <laughs> I hold. There's nothing else that I put in my hand and makes me feel better about the situation. It's this or it's the golden version of it. That's all. That's it. 
And no, nobody can convince me. There you go. <laughs> nobody can convince me of anything else. Am I wrong? Should I be buying bunches of Bitcoin? Should I be going out there buying apartment complexes? Or is this is this it? Because that shit is going to hit the fan. It's going to hit the fan. And it's where I know being an investor for the last 30 years, the one thing I know is you have to be properly positioned, right? What else would you put yourselves in? Nothing. Tech stocks and Tesla, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Andy? Are you are you silver gold, or have you, you are you speculating out there in the Bitcoin world? No, and, no and anything. I mean, you know, you and I have talked a lot about about Basel three, about about gold's role in the in the world. I believe in my heart. Ultimately, that's where we want to be. However. As you can see by my shirt, courtesy of my buddy, Keith Newmeyer. So if you're out there, Keith, thank you for sending me this. I love it. I'd like to buy a bunch more if you got them. Anyways, uh, I think that um, silver is the opportunity of a generation. I truly do. I mean, there are very few things that you can say in life uh, or in investing where you find the supply and demand fundamentals so perfectly lined up for extraordinary upside with virtually nothing in the way of downside, an asset that's depleted and becoming more and more difficult to obtain an asset that is needed immeasurably in growing applications and utilities industrially, and an asset that has duality in demand where the, as you hold up a kilo Valcambi bar, one of my very favorite choices to buy, and I have been recommending those for the last six months, pretty much voraciously, um, is, is an asset that has monetary demand and, and globally monetary demand and expansion in monetary demand. And in a world where, you know, the crack up boom, if, if we were to drop Ludwig von Mises down uh, from heaven right here, right now, he'd look at it and say, this is the crack up boom where the misallocation exactly. of capital and resources has created the impossibility of real price discovery. And when you look all around and you look at silver and say, what the hell, how is it that this, which is depleting and has massive uses and duality in demand. I mean, what other com commodity, maybe platinum a little bit, but palladium a tiny bit, what other commodity has that kind of duality where you've got two sides fighting for it, where the industrials are gonna be fighting the hedge funds at some point for the scraps. Uh, where can you find something that's set up that great in a world of, 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 of miserable price discovery, you look at something trading at half of its 1980 value, there are very few things on the planet that line up the way that silver does, to your point, Rob. But I, and this is where, you know, my, my good buddy Bix Weir and I have a little bit of disagreement. And I love him and he's as smart as anyone I know. But he and I would diverge slightly in the respect that I have not lost sight of the fact that the biggest money in the world for the last five years has been accumulating gold. And you look at it, you know, like mm -hmm. I was just saying with the, mm -hmm. the central banks, this year alone already bought 4,500 tons. And you go all the way back to all the European banks since 2017 and the Middle Eastern banks and Russia and China and India, they're accumulating gold. And ultimately gold will be part of whatever system rises from these ashes. So silver to me is a pathway into getting more gold. And I wouldn't sell all my silver to buy gold when that ratio corrects, but look at the opportunity. You know, when you talk about anomalies in mathematics, I'm always about mathematics and ratios. And look at the anomaly. It's coming out of the ground, according to Keith, at seven to one. It's priced at nearly 80 to one. It's 11 times undervalued. 
in its relation to gold. It's, it's, and that being seven ounces of silver for every one ounce of gold. But, you know, it's averaged 42 to one for 150 years. So even if it only gets to 42 to one, you're looking at a double if you were to yep. trade back to gold. The point of it double is- Double relative to gold. Yeah. Double relative to gold, yeah. And the yeah. point of it is, is that there, I don't see anything else in this world, real estate, stocks, bonds, any other commodity, you look at it, where do you find value? And that's really the issue. Uh, and I think there's not much you can say contrary to that about silver. So ultimately it's gold for me, or the majority of it gold, but not yet. And silver is a pathway to getting there where when that ratio gets closer to its uh, geologic mean, in theory, you could get 10 times the amount of gold trading it into trading your silver to gold to, you know, then than you can today. And ultimately I see something like that happening. And a lot of people think it will go one to one. I guess we'll have to see. But the opportunity of a generation, and if I would say that if I didn't own a precious metals company, I mean it in my soul. I've looked and searched and tried to find the, the, the antithesis argument to owning silver. What's the opposite argument? I can't find it other than the fact that it doesn't have a coupon and doesn't pay any interest. But here again, when you're getting negative 5% on a 10-year treasury real, it sure beats the hell out of that. That zero coupon beats the hell out of negative five. So I don't know. I'll stick with my gold and silver. All right, guys, we're running just a tad late and it's time for our after-hour session. I wanted to give a special thanks to Dave and Andy for joining. Uh, they've been riding shotgun with me on my channel for a long time. I appreciate you guys being there at the very beginning. Oh, it means yeah. a lot to me that you guys are still here and I know that our audience absolutely loves you. So always welcome at my conferences. Uh, Dave Kranzler, you can find at Investment Research Dynamics, writes the Mining Stock Journal and Short Sellers Journal. Of course, Andy uh, owns and runs Miles Franklin, and you can find him for all your precious metals needs. Thank you for listening to the Gold Silver Pros podcast. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time.